I didn't give up to the corrupt republic. I didn't give up to the empire. And I won't give up to you. I like yeah, that they did the Law and Order SVU thing. Like yeah. They had, had a big actor play a small role early in the episode. Support <laughs> oh, Come like it's him. Obviously, it's, it's Whoopi Goldberg as the best character. Oh, no. Wait, he was just about to say Anakin Skywalker. Oh. We almost got a name drop there. He was. The he Jedi was. Enforcer. Oh, we were so close. That was awesome. Welcome back to New Rockstars. The Mandalorian Chapter 22 was a lesson for many on what it feels like to watch Clone Wars. Sometimes your heroes are just going to end up in some whack-ass side quest with drunk droids, Jack Black and Lizzo, Doc Brown screaming about Count Dooku, and Starcross seafood. <laughs> Dang, Dang Farrick! <laughs> Let's discuss the Bantha in the room. <laughs> this is The Break Room Presents Wookie Leaks, our weekly Mandalorian after show. I'm Eric Voss. My Easter egg breakdown is coming tomorrow. But right now, I'm here discussing this interesting episode with Tommy Bechtold and Hector Navarro. Hello, friends. Oh, Eric, it's bad bitch o'clock. It's thick 30. I've been gone so long, but I'm still flirty. <laughs> this episode had the juice and it had the delectable Mr. JB. So I just yes. just enjoyed every single morsel of this yeah. insanity. Hector, I have to ask, you're wearing this great directed oh, by Bryce Dallas yes, Howard shirt. Is this what you expected the Bryce Dallas Howard episode of the season would be? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you know why? Because Bryce Dallas Howard voiced Yaddle, and Yaddle was killed by Dooku, so Bryce Dallas Howard knows everything about Count Dooku mm. and was yep. ch- champing at the bit to bring back Dooku into the Mandalorian. So yes, this is, no, of course this isn't what I expected. I expected <laughs> Thrawn to show up, but I'm happy that Star Wars continues to try and be weird. Because that's the best thing that Star Wars can do. <laughs> Don't take itself too, too seriously. But uh, yes. we'll get to Thrawn. We'll get there. We'll get to Thrawn. For now, yes. let's just enjoy Lizzo and Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, Tommy, take us through what happened this episode. Thrawn makes me yawn. Lizzo <laughs> is got the Rizzo. All right. So oh, what the fat- I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> well, so what the fat happened in this episode, boys? Let's talk about it. The episode opens with a Corrin freight ship that's been hunted down by ex-wolves and the rest of the Mando mercenaries that split from Bo-Katan prior to this season's events. So from there, mm-hmm. we see Din Djarin, Grogu, and Bo-Katan have immediately left Navarro. They're like, we're out. We're gone. Uh, and they track down uh, Bo's old friends in the independent Outer Rim world of Plazier 15. Yeah, they all kept saying, like, I've never heard of this planet. What is this yeah. planet? I've never heard of it. Yeah. Like, it's just a reminder that the Star Wars universe is pretty expansive. I'm just, it didn't seem like a real shithole. It was like a no. pretty evolved planet that seemed, you know, they, they got some interesting croquet. J- j- just say it, Eric, it's Epcot. This is Epcot in Orlando. Straight That's what Epcot. it looked like. Straight up Epcot, complete with the monorails. We were watching uh-huh. Walt Disney's Utopian idea of a perfect society from the 1970s. That's what Yeah, there was this someone getting is. a margarita on one block, one block over, they're eating a nice sushi lunch. That's right. They're definitely staying on property, which you know means they paid for it. Uh, so they, they land, they're greeted by these droids that kind of look like C-3PO and R2-D2, but then we're seeing that they're this old, uh, re- refurbished, reprogrammed Imperial droids. They're not the droids yeah. we're looking for, guys. Well, I mean, unless that's your no. sort of thing. Evil robots. This doesn't bode well. Yeah, an <laughs> RA-7 who greets you. Yeah. And anytime you see a black astromech droid, I just have a ton of questions yes. for him. Like, yeah. like, what do you really think of R2-D2? Is he a little stinker? And uh, <laughs> That ex- guy's a little Make bitch. a case for yourself that Chopper is actually the most evil droid. Because he is. Chopper's yeah. a piece of shit. Well, we're all, we're all dreading the day Chopper 
appears uh, again in live action to torment Eric and, and haunt his dreams. But first, the stuff that the dreams are made of, we get to meet Jack Black and Lizzo as the <laughs> amazingly Star Wars named Captain Bombardier and the Duchess. Bombardier, Bom- I believe, yes. is how Jack Black insisted I'm, on I'm saying Bombardier because that's what it is. But you're right. Yes. <laughs> Listen, Han, Han, it, yeah. it's it's a Star Wars tradition. We're going to have yeah. different pronunciations of the Han's, name. <laughs> Han's best friend calls him Han, so I don't know what to do. Uh, yes, you know, this is Bombardier, <laughs> Jack Black doing some accent work from a place that doesn't exist, but I love Well, it does exist. It's Plays R15 or whatever. Uh, all right. So this is the crux of this episode, boys. Old Imperial droids are acting up. We're seeing yep. droid violence on the streets. It's basically iRobot, right? Isn't this the plot of iRobot? Down to, like, aggravating one droid until he fights back against you? I'm, like, I'm surprised we didn't have an Alan Tudyk cameo playing a version of K2SO being like, yeah. I did not murder him! <laughs> yes, you're right. <laughs> I did not hit her. I did not. Uh, <laughs> so so it's, uh, it's up to Benson and Stabler, I mean, Dan and Bo, to figure out <laughs> what's going on. And by the way... I mean, if this episode wasn't heavily influenced by Law and Order, I don't know what to tell you. They literally go to a shipping dock to talk to someone. Yeah. <laughs> Some droids are just like, "Yeah, I've only met the guy." A few times, but... Sure, I know him, but he always kept to himself. Uh, they question Christopher Lloyd, whose name is literally Captain Hellgate. And by the way, Luke Skywalker is the protagonist of this entire thing. Yes. So I'm not. Yes. I'm not proposing that these names are not always silly this episode was just chock full of them and i love it i eat it up yum 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 captain halgate he handles surveillance across the city he shows them some footage of a handful of droid attacks and kind of pushes them along on a theory for the situation which is always suspicious when the person you're talking to is like well you know here's what i think it is well do you think his plan in that moment was to like he knew that they would aggravate one of those uh, battle droids and that they would like kill them is that what he was hoping or convince them that this isn't worth their time right like mm, he needs them yeah. he mm. needs those two out of the picture cuz everything else okay. is working fine uh, so then they go visit the Ugnaughts who are responsible for smithing and working on the droids. Uh, they claim there aren't any malfunctioning droids, but after Din just, you know, basically threatens everyone and Din's move this time, like he was like a real hothead cop. Like there was a lot of good cop, bad cop in this episode. But in this room he was, uh, yeah, he was super polite. Yeah. He was like, yeah. uh, he recalled his relationship with Kuwil and yeah. I really, this was my favorite part of the yes. episode to be honest. I just liked his connection. I like that he it, said it, there's yeah. a way to speak to them because Bo is so clearly like, why did you say I have spoken? <laughs> like, yeah. she's, she's so clearly thrown by that. And he's like, there's a way to speak to them that only I. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was a wonderful, uh, like, anchorman moment where he was like, I know Katao Jiao. Katao Jiao is my cousin. You can come and <laughs> we'll help you. <laughs> you may go in peace. <laughs> uh, he pulled a Baxter from Anchorman is what he did. Yeah. Yes. So they provide them... Uh, you know, they give them some information, which leads the duo to a loading dock, as I said. Din then provokes the droid because he hates them. Uh, Bo's like, I'm going to ask a question. Din's like, I don't like that answer. I'm immediately choosing violence. Uh, but they get that uh, spark pad, which takes them to the droid bar, the resistor. Not a heavy-handed name at all. And that gets them a little closer to solving the mystery. They get to the resistor, right? Bo tells Din to this, like, let me handle this. And Din's like, sure, no problem. Take all the time you need. Psych, you get 10 seconds to come up with some conclusions. <laughs> or I'm cutting people in half. Or droids in half, anyway. 
So then they discover that the malfunctioning droids were all served the same batch of Nepenthe. Nepenthe? Mm. Am I saying that right? Nepenthe. 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 Yes, you are. I wanted Nepenthe after this, but not the batch they got because it was contaminated with something. Then they go to the robot more. <laughs> <laughs> I Very love law this and order. Too. Very law and order. You guys are right. That's so funny. <laughs> it's, I would say, and this uh, this actor who they pulled to play the mortician had a small role in Righteous Gemstones mm. as the person yeah. working at the is it the pharmacy or the whatever at the at the store uh. Uh, where like they she brings back the lunch for uh, oh Tim's yeah character. Tim Baltz's anyway. character right? what yeah. Yeah. What what is a robot autopsy? Is that a robotopsy? Is that what we're dealing with right here? That's what we just w- witnessed. I think yeah. robotopsy. Great, great. You nailed it. I think <laughs> no you coined the phrase. Uh, so so the two our two detective heroes continue their investigation before they can get any more information out. The droid goes nuts and starts attacking them, and that's when we find out about the nano droids, which feature a chain code that points them back towards Hellgate. Yes. If a person is named Hellgate, they are going to end up being evil, guys. I'm sorry. I don't know a lot of benevolent Hellgates in my life. Oh, uh, that's not true. I knew a Paul Hellgate once. Yeah. Wait a second. He murdered two guys. Uh, <laughs> no. yeah, you might want to Google him. Oh, <laughs> don't man. Google him. Don't Google him. Uh, <laughs> so it's revealed that Hellgate is the one that commissioned the droid attacks in order to disrupt and attack the way of life on Plazir. Remember... They said, they were like, why don't you just decommission all the droids? And then they're like, because they don't, people don't want to work. They're like, the droids are, the, yeah. it's like, it's like uh, Wally. It's like, yeah, it really is like <laughs> Wally. Yeah. But the people are just uh, floating around in chairs sipping Slurpees. They That's don't want right. to work anymore. They cannot they, yeah. carry all their hot boxes, uh, hat boxes. They yes. couldn't possibly carry all their hat boxes. <laughs> they can't. Crazy. I mean, there's two. They don't want to work. They just want to bang on the croquet mallets all day. Uh, I, I do like that kind of like, it's like a convenience store. It's like, we had to shutter for the weekend because kids don't want to work anymore. That's right. <laughs> you want a job where you work. They put the piece of paper up. We're so sorry, but we're not going to be able to be open for lunch anymore because people want to be paid a living wage. Uh, anyway, <laughs> speaking of radical political opinions, Hellgate reveals that he is a separatist and an ardent supporter of the late great Count Dooku. At some point, Grogu is knighted. Christopher Lloyd is exiled to a moon. And then we get to what is probably the most important part of the episode. Uh, Bo and Din find the night owls and uh, Bo and Axe wolves fight. I I love this, guys. I thought it was really cool. They used, like, they really showcased the Mandalorian weaponry that they have. Uh, when mm-hmm. they're fighting, Bo wins. Din gives Bo the dark saber and explains that when he was out of commission, Din wielded or Bo wielded the dark saber and saved his life. Everybody's like, "Yeah, sure, we'll change the rules. No problem. That sounds great. That works for me." <laughs> what the hell was this episode, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I have so many questions from that alone. Like, we should we should talk about that maybe a little bit later. Uh, I also have questions about those droids, like the nano droids. Can the nano droids also get drunk and be programmed oh, and separately sent here? They have their own bar inside the droid. They have their own tiny little bar. There's their own separatist what plot do you need, in there. Bob? <laughs> um, before we uh, get into talking about what this episode was, just a quick reminder to support the New Rockstars Network by grabbing some merch over at nerdriot.shop. We have some uh, really cool Mandalorian-inspired uh, designs. I, I'm wearing, I think this is the first time I've worn this uh, Mando hoodie. That's a Mythosar hoodie. It's really cozy. I want a Mythosar hoodie. Eric, thank you so much for heralding the new age of Mandalore by wearing that. That's gorgeous. That's right. I it, There was a night owl, and I shaved <laughs> and it off. Eric is the one to lead us. Eric must ride the Mythosaur. 
Yes, I have a long, complicated explanation of a story that I have no evidence of that at some point someone else fumbled the dark saber, and yeah. that person's just going to explain to you in a rational conversation why it's rightfully mine. Uh, and it's all going to be based off of a conflict that we have that happened off screen that we're just going to tell people about. Uh, anyway. We have thoughts, obviously. Yes. And look, you know what? This is Clone Wars. Yeah. This is how Clone Wars feels. And I, this is a divisive episode, but some people seem to be okay with it because that what Clone Wars was. It was kind of a story of the week thing. But I think uh, uh, I'm going to save some of my thoughts for later in the in this episode because I, okay. I, okay. I need you're, to calm down. You're, you're heating up a little bit there, Eric. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and simadan now, okay? We got, we got some stuff to get into here. <laughs> we have some stuff to get into. This question of uh, separatism. Were the separatists yeah. right? Have all other political systems been demonstrated to fail in Star yeah. Wars? Mm. Uh, are, we're seeing some Dooku redemption here. And yeah. why, is, why are they so interested in the character of Count Dooku suddenly in Star Wars? Uh. And I'm just going to give my quick, my quick two cents on this um yeah i think one big interesting undercurrent of this season obviously we know that the empire is evil it's efficient in some ways but andor showed how it's not efficient in others and it's dismissive it's destined to fall apart uh this season the mandalorian is showing us how the new republic is destined to fall apart as well just by being overwhelmed by being poorly structured by being overly forgiving by being poorly communicative by having their priorities out of whack uh by not having a, a properly watchful eye on the resurging threat of imperial loyalists um now i think we're getting back to this idea of equating separatism with democracy which is something that the clone wars show did really well uh, saw Gerrera was a separatist right 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 the whole episode with saw Gerrera and his sister i think was one of my favorite episodes of Clone Wars, uh, and this idea of democracy that, you know, the difference between a republic and a democracy is something that is an interesting political debate currently yeah. in America right now, mm. uh, but the idea of using the Senate, the Galactic Senate is not a direct democracy, it's a republic, right? So you're representing, you're having people represent you and then voting on your behalf. Specifically, Plazir 15 is, they use the term direct democracy, which means, like, everything is decided through public uh, state ballots, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, every little thing, people just vote on every question. And then, so the political leaders are really just, like, prime ministers, but even then, like, everything is just decided through a direct democracy. And, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, like, political theorists who can argue that that is not the ideal form of government because, like, you, you need... Like, it's like living in California. Our, if you look at our ballots, like, you guys both know this, you live in California. We vote on everything. We yes. vote on, should there be dog catchers on Tuesdays through Thursdays? Right, right, you better right. believe there should. <laughs> I would say no. No dog. Defund the dog catchers. Let the dogs roam free, I say. I love dogs. I say net those shih tzus and throw them in the back of a no! wagon. <laughs> How dare you? Hard no on the dog catcher ballot. But yeah, I think that's like, now they're making an argument that like, a direct democracy might have something to go for. We, I don't know if it's fair to call uh, <laughs> Commissioner Hellgate yes. evil, per se. I wanted to right. give him more time to talk. I wanted to hear hear him out and say, why is Count Dooku right? Like, right. Um, like what are the merits of direct democracy? He you? did seem actually very, like, remorseful that he let the Duchess down. Like, he did have, like, a loyalty to this character mm. who was, uh, we learned, like you're saying, Eric, an elected leader, but still royalty, but an elected leader. And I think going back to what you're asking is why is Star Wars now interested in this character Count Dooku? And I think the answer is a couple of things. First of all, Christopher Lee is awesome. And I think everyone can agree that we didn't get enough Christopher Lee in the Star Wars prequel movies, right? And to, yeah. to, to, for George Lucas to give us the idea that a character was formerly Jedi and then goes over to the dark side before Anakin Skywalker does, you know, 
That's such a compelling idea. And I think that Dave Filoni and team that were working on The Clone Wars were absolutely right to want to dive into that and to actually explore that. And and recently, and we were talking about this before we started rolling, Dave Filoni further explored that in Tales of the Jedi, an animated show that I think is way more significant and important than, than I think a lot of Star Wars fans kind of took notice of. But that has a few episodes that actually shows how Dooku, being a, a Jedi who believes in justice and equality and fairness, could look at what the Republic was then and decide, oh, they're corrupt. This this isn't going to work. And how he slowly turns to the dark side. And I think that it's 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 absolutely interesting to look at every era of Star Wars, even as far back as what is supposed to be the utopian time of the High Republic. And I'm reading some of those books and comic books and stuff right now. And even in those stories, they talk about the failings of certain aspects of their galactic government. Because all of that stuff needs to be in the background. If this is a world, if this is a galaxy where evil can rise up and and be a, 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 an authoritative force and an oppressive force. And to go back to the Mandalorian for a second, I know that fans have been upset that the sequel trilogy introduced the idea that the First Order could rise after the Empire was defeated, after the Heroes of the Rebellion actually defeated the Big Bad, um, because we wanted a happy ending for everybody. But I think that the Mandalorian is very smartly showing the New Republic in this light of, if it's an ineffective government, and I know, Eric, I think you've talked about this before too, those are the conditions for where a new uh, fascistic government is going to be able to gain power and gain favor from people and to be able to convince people to go and join up as stormtroopers or go and you know give them money or go and support or whatever the case may be. But you have to have these political undertones in Star Wars. It was always there from the beginning. And I think that what The Mandalorian's doing, pointing to the sequel trilogy, saying that the First Order rises because the New Republic is ineffective is actually further strengthening the power of the original trilogy's empire. The empire was so destructive that it destroyed a hundreds of years old, like, peaceful galaxy uh, republic and a government and was only around for about 30 years, right? We saw the beginning of the empire to the end of the empire, 20-some years, and it had such a devastating effect that even after they're defeated, the New Republic's like trying to pick up the pieces, and Tim Meadows is like, look, we don't have the resources, we don't, you know, and and, and that leads to, of course, the First Order is going to rise up again. So there was a World War II after World War I, and a lot of the same players were involved. That's how this stuff goes. So I think it's very, very interesting to have Star Wars actually refocus and, and, and look at what the Separatists you know, uh, political ideology actually was. Now, did they use droids for nefarious purposes and maybe uh, team up with the wrong people? Palpatine behind the scenes? Yes, that's the whole point. He was trying to stoke that fire so that he could go, oh, the Separatists are so bad. We have to put me in charge. George was a genius is what I'm saying. (laughs) I agree. Uh, I also explored on a little show called The Bad Batch this season, guys. Episodes one and two take place on Dooku's home planet. Uh, they deal with some of the surviving separatists on that planet that he ultimately turned on as well. Uh, in the end, greed conquers all, and Dooku just started resource hoarding uh, and, and taking everyone's money and and sweet, sweet spice and jewels. Yeah, I think that's what I'm, I'm missing in this. Uh, I, I really love the the time they gave to the separatist cause with Saw Gerrera, but really it was like a militaristic approach. 
I want a boring PBS C-SPAN <laughs> civic debate yes. about the merits of separatism yes. and direct democracy in the Star Wars universe. <laughs> I will read a term paper on this. I, I mean, I think that's what kind of like threw me. And maybe it's just because I was, you know, briefly uh, a nerdy academic political science major in college. <laughs> and I did spend too many times reading, too, too much time reading these books and thinking about it and like getting into Facebook debates with people on this stuff. But like realistically, if you were to see a direct democracy in the Star Wars universe, it's hard to reconcile that with the luxuriousness of Plazier 15. I'm wondering, like, how are they getting their money? Is it, like, old royal wealth? And that's ah. kind of like with Count Dooku as well, is he was such, like, a flair for fashion. And real In the real world, direct democracy is a very boring thing. Like, I would imagine a planet that is a true experiment direct democracy would be pretty, like, like... It'd be very egalitarian. Uh, everyone would just be wearing probably civic uniforms. It'd be something like District 13 and Hunger Games, you know? Yeah. Like, it would just... It, I don't think it would be like, hey, we're playing, you know, Disney's Alice in Wonderland croquet right now. With <laughs> right. Uh, hanging out with Using our the force. Like, I don't think the public would, would vote to allow to have the former royals. They would probably abolish the monarchy. On right. This planet, right, right, exactly. Yeah. I want to read a newspaper from Plazier 15. I really like, I w- I think that would be, some fans should make a like daily newspaper, just one edition of uh, the comings and goings of that planet. Now guys, I got to ask, this is the question on my mind. Now that the Mandalorians have Gideon's light cruiser, what the fet is next? I, I wish that we had had some time, because uh, obviously this is a Bo-Katan season, right? Mm-hmm. It's clear at this point she is the main hero of the season. I don't have a problem with that. It's just like we didn't see Axe Wolves turn on her. That all happened off screen. They're sure. just like talking about it. And we didn't even like, she mentioned it with like a throwaway line in episode one. Mm-hmm. And she seemed kind of bitter, but she also seemed kind of comfortable sitting in a throne. She just seemed kind of bored yeah. more than anything. She didn't look bitter in defeat. Yeah. Like, the lowest moment for Bo-Katan on the season is when her castle on Kalevala got bombed. Right. She was wearing a helmet, and we immediately cut away from her for a Dr. Pershing storyline for 40 minutes. Right. And then by the time we cut back with her, she immediately got a new home on the covert planet. Mm-hmm. It's like, we haven't really seen Bo-Katan struggle or have, like, any kind of personal gripe with these people other than this moment right now. So it was like a payoff to something that we didn't see. Yeah. So, like, we didn't really know what it means for her to regain this. I would say, like, Clone Wars and Rebels challenged the character of Bo-Katan in, in more dramatic and more interesting ways than this live-action show has. Mm. And it's nothing against Katie Sackhoff. I think she's great. I just think, like, structurally, this season is just kind of scattered all over the place, and it's not really given us a chance to, like, connect with her emotionally. Yeah. Uh, and then I also just got to say... I love watching two Mandalorians fight with each other, yes. but is the flamethrower necessary? No. I know it looks really cool. I don't mind it, but how is that practically useful uh, when they're uh, fighting yeah. each other? The it's only- just like, I'm mad now. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> Especially because that little shield looked like it was only maybe trash can lid size, but it still took yeah. the whole brunt of the fire. And I'm like, I'm going to need yeah. that weapon explained because that doesn't make any physical sense. It makes about as much sense in obeying the laws of physics as Captain America's vibranium shield. But it is very, very cool. And I think that to your point, Eric, I think that Bo-Katan has been a, a huge focus this season. I think that the relationship between her and Din Djarin is something that they've been spending episodes sort of building up so that when you get to this moment where she goes to bat for him and then he explains like she's the rightful owner of the Darksaber. The YouTube comments were right. They overthought this and they were correct. Like she's the one who should get this through the rule of, you know, losing it in battle and defeating whoever had it in battle. I think that that is a payoff that it would have been more difficult to achieve considering where 
the characters, how they felt about each other at the beginning of this season. You had to have those bonding episodes. You had to have the episodes where they both saved the kid of mm. the Mandalorian covert, you know, against the big pterodactyl creature. The raptor. The raptor, you're right, the bird of prey. But to have her defend Din Djarin and go like, he's cool, he's, he's, he's good, guys, he's a cool dude, and he may have different religious beliefs than us, but he is Mandalorian just the same as we are. I think it's all leading towards the end of this season feels like it's going to be who is going to be the one that's really going to unite the Mandalorian clans. Is it going to be Bo or is it going to be Din Djarin? And it looks like it's leaning towards Bo, but if it is, where does that leave Din and Grogu? Are they going to stay with this group and this found family or are they going to find their own path and continue the sort of wandering samurai tradition mm. that uh, the Mandalorian is inspired by? So we'll, yeah, we will find I, out. I honestly think when they when they brought Grogu and Mando back together in the Book of Boba Fett, a different show, yeah. I think they kind of ran out of ideas of what to do with those two characters. So they're like, let's just do a Bo-Katan season. I I, I, it just seems like that's what Filoni and Favreau did. They're like, we like Bo-Katan. We yeah. like Katie Sackhoff. Let's just do a season where she's a hero. Because like, what have we learned about Din Djarin or Grogu this season? Grogu started babbling and he can now do these big jumps. Yeah. And I think like, there's been little moments like Din uh, encouraging Grogu to like train with the other Mandalorian kids. Sure, like, sure, to, sure. To sure, duel sure. with them. But even that has felt kind of like, out, not necessarily out of place, but like it sticks out because it's like, oh, this is a rare, Din is paying attention to Grogu and like teaching him something moment. Now we're going to get back to this other storyline where raptors are plucking children out of the sky on the, most on the most dangerous beach in the world. Do you guys think it's because the characters of Din Djarin and Grogu are such sort of stoic and simple, I want to say shallow characters. Like when we met Din at the beginning of season one, mm. what was his ultimate sort of story arc? Is it he, he he's, he's a mercenary, but you, we knew by the end of episode one and he saw that little hand come up that he was probably going to fall in love with this kid mm. and become an adoptive father. And what else have we learned about Din? He was prejudiced against droids, but now he's cool with them, depending on the, like, right? That's, that's, those are basically the two things that have changed within Din Djarin, who's right. a very, you know, man with no name, Sergio Leone, like, like Clint Eastwood, stoic character that doesn't have too much complexity in him. And Grogu's mm. also a puppet who doesn't fucking talk. It's very difficult to put in yeah. personality and wants and needs and desires other than like Grogu looking at things and squinting and, you know, yeah. and other characters sort of projecting their own, like, yeah. you shall be Mandalorian, you shall be Jedi. Right. So these two characters are, are action figures, and I don't mean that in a bad way, I mean it in a good way, it's totally fine, but do you guys think that, the, that this season in particular, it has really kind of become more glaring because, Eric, you mentioned like, well, the resolution of, of him and, and Grogu happened. We saw that in the Book of Boba Fett. Where mm. else can these characters go, per se? Or do you think that it's still something where the show's writing can still rise to the challenge. I think they can still rise to the challenge. I think that the one of the problems with, not problems, but one of the struggles the show faces is that Grogu ages so slowly. So we Correct. can't, because if Grogu was really going full on, like becoming a Mandalorian, that would be really cool. But that's going to take like 15 years. Yeah. Which will oh. be, 15 years will be like, He'll then be like a five-year-old. I don't, you know, like. No, he he won't because we saw, I don't know, how many years was Order 66 prior to this? Like 30 
some years, something yeah. like that. And yeah. he looks the same. And he was he's 50 now and he was 20 years old then. Right. So it, it, but even if we get to like the sequel trilogy era, he's going to look the same. Even if we get yeah. past episode 9, Rise of Skywalker, and Grogu becomes some, some, some sort of protagonist of episodes 10, 11, and 12, or some mm. future Star Wars storytelling, he's going to look the same. He's a baby. Oh, I don't know about he's that. He's a babbling look, you baby. You can look at... My parents have fo- that kind of photo spread of me for all my brothers and sisters from kindergarten through uh, through I believe my senior year of high school. And like I look the same, I look the same, I look the same. Like people look at me like Eric, is this just the same kindergarten photo? And I'm like, no, I'm 13 here. And then suddenly between 18 and 19, I turn new man. Yeah. I turn new man. I got a big Adam's apple that falls out. I got a couple okay. beach photos that came okay. out. I shot up a couple feet. I became so, man. So we don't so, know. What Yoda species puberty is like, and when it hits, how I bet hard it's does hell. it hit? Fair, I bet it's hell. Fair. Look, we <laughs> we we saw we were with baby Groot for a few years, and then he was teen Groot, and he's you know. So you're right, right. you're right. We could absolutely shift around how that aging works, <laughs> but um, but yeah, to to your point, Tommy, it's 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 difficult to to treat that character as like a a a main character of the show when I feel like really he is this great, you know, he's like Yoda. Like Yoda, I don't know if Yoda ever works as a main focus character in a Star Wars, any kind of a long form thing. Yoda focused episodes of the Clone Wars are fantastic, but Yoda is a character who I think works best as a supporting character, and I think that's what Grogu is too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the writing can rise to the challenge, but you have to be willing to kill your darlings. And I what I I think a lot of us were theorizing going into the season, especially at the beginning, that they were going to take a real critical eye at the Children of the Watch and the way and the cult orthodoxy of it and they haven't they've just kind of like championed it or haven't really made any kind of bold statement on it that's yeah. what Filoni did so well in clone or in clone wars we didn't yes. we weren't really sure where they were going to go and then season five comes along and then for the first time we're questioning the jedi order and we're showing the flaws in their thinking and to me that's when clone wars is at its best like what's more beloved than the jedi in the star wars fandom and they were able to like take characters like you know, Yoda, like Mace Windu, like Kiati Mundi, and then say, like, no, those guys were clearly wrong-minded on so right. many things and were strict. And why don't they do that with this clear cult? Like yeah. instead they're just like they're they're having this championing music when when uh when the armorer is like, take off your helmet. She walks in both worlds. It's mm-hmm. like I, I look, I don't mind a good story of the week Clone Wars episode vibe. I there's a lot of people watching this episode who are like, I didn't watch Clone Wars, I don't get it. I watch New Rockstars videos to explain to me what I need to know about Clone Wars and watch Rebels. Clone Wars. And, watch it. Watch it. Just watch it. But if you watch it, I think you're gonna find some episodes like a Jar Jar episode. Three PO yeah. and R2 are doing what? Like, you know, there's there are those arcs. Uh but overall there's a lot of great arcs in there. I think it is worth watching. But yeah, I think this late in the season to have another one that just kind of feels a bit scattered structurally is just going to throw some people. And I think the issue is, is that people are willing to nostalgically look back at Clone Wars and forgive it because they were younger when they watched it. And those are a lot of the same people who are now watching The Mandalorian. Clone Wars was 13 years ago when those first seasons came out. Those people are older now. We have seen more complex, sophisticated mm. versions to tell these stories. We've watched Andor. We've watched Rogue One. Uh, and we've watched other non-Star Wars media that we've really grown to love. You can't just do the same kind of basic first draft storytelling with these things and not like give your characters more character development and hope that everyone's just going to be on the same train. We're more like know your audience. And I don't think there's little kids who are watching this uh, the same with the same wedge of uh, extent it's like a live action show it's not animated you have to 
raise the bar a bit with how much you challenge your characters and challenge their their assumptions. I agree. I think I agree. I think that's exactly it. They got to aim a little higher, I think. I just want, like, if you're going to say Dooku is right, I, I want to know why. Yeah. Like, t- explain why. Yeah. Like, bring in a, just do a bit of Googling into political theory and, like, give... Give a, a Doc Brown a bit more re- explanation yeah. as to why, right. not just that the Jedi were evil or that you know Palpatine exposed all of them for their for their flaws, but mm-hmm. like get back to some like talk about the merits of democracy. Show us in the episode how like because all we saw was Plazier fifteen looked like a failed experiment. Yeah. These it, you can't say that like direct democracy is great and then also show like a bunch of like wealthy one percenters who are doing hat shopping and need Absolutely. a droid to do all their heavy lifting Absolutely. for them. Or droids that are like seemingly a, like a marginalized group, uh, a, yeah. a vulnerable class in this world, and they're you know they're just trying to like you know just kind of scrape by and not really get noticed or anything and and yeah and and I wonder if that's like the struggle that Lucasfilm and Star Wars has right now where maybe these conversations are being had and they're going but we already kind of covered this in the other stuff in the Clone Wars animated show and the Tales of the Jedi had some Dooku specific centric things and maybe because Star Wars does try to the best of its ability treat all of their media as like the same level of importance, right? Mm. Like they, they, Star Wars in the past couple of years especially has reinforced going, no, no, no. Characters introduced in animated shows like Ahsoka and Thrawn, they're just as important as characters like Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and, and, and Rey Skywalker. And, and that's very admirable and I really like that Star Wars tries to treat all of its media like that. I like that they have gone and said all of the things we're doing across the board, whether it's in publishing or video games or VR or whatever, we're all trying to make it as canon as we can and try to be respectful to that and not be redundant. But it goes to the conversation. I know that it, speaking of Tales of the Jedi, there was an episode that was Ahsoka specific towards the end where, where she was fighting one of the uh, Inquisitors, right? And some fans who have been consuming all of the Star Wars media, they pointed to a novel that came out and they said, that's an Ahsoka novel. And Filoni was sort of like, yeah, true, because the novel was based on – the novel's like an expanded version of what, it, what was a treatment that we had while we were making Clone Wars and we never got around to animating it. Well, now we did Tales of the Jedi. I just animated it. And it's essentially the same story. And Star Wars fans are going, is Star Wars now being redundant, telling the same story in different medium when they should have been saying, the book happened, it's canon, just go read this book, here's a different Ahsoka story? Or is it still important to show in an animated format a story that maybe people who are not readers would have never experienced? Would it be redundant if, Eric, like you're saying, if they had Christopher Lloyd give us a little more about Dooku and his, and his ideology when Star Wars fans would go, yeah, we've seen this already. We watched this, this, and this. But should they should should Star Wars be trying to treat every one of their projects like it's someone's first and only Star Wars? Are there people who mm. really, truly are only watching The Mandalorian and didn't watch The Book of Boba Fett in between seasons two and three? That's kind of wild to me, but I understand I'm not a normal person. I like to consume Star Wars mm. at every single iota and atom, and that's not most general audience's approach to this kind of thing. So is Star Wars trying to respect their own stuff that they've already done? Or should they be thinking about this as every single one of these projects should be entry level and the only thing a Star Wars fan ever sees? That's a really interesting point, Hector. I, I think you're asking the right questions because, yeah, obviously, I, I assume internally that's what they're asking themselves too. Mm. I think when they're at their best, they're doing both. They're They're telling a story that anybody who hasn't seen a single episode of Clone Wars and Rebels can watch, tune in, and enjoy. Um, and then, uh, but they throw in little Easter eggs or little, you know, Zeb cameos, whatever it is 
that people can go online and then get explanations <laughs> on what it is. But what what made the Zeb cameo last week so brilliant is that like you didn't need to know who Zeb was to appreciate no. that moment. You're just like, here's a really well CGI'd character, yeah. uh, just who has this connection with with the. Uh, Paul Sung Hilly and it's yeah. like just saying you need to <laughs> yeah good luck trying to get something out of the New Republic uh, in a cool Top Gun setting like that's all we needed yeah. Um, but yeah this episode it's just like uh, I think if anybody were to tune in without knowing Clone Wars without <laughs> having seen Clone Wars I think they're really going to be thrown by this episode I guess we have to ask Leonardo DiCaprio who you know who we know watches The Mandalorian I don't know if Leonardo DiCaprio has watched Clone Wars I don't think he has but maybe he has because he can better relate to his girlfriend's ages <laughs> Yeah, do you think Leo DiCaprio's uh, when he sees that that uh, the actress who played the Quarren was twenty four years older than the guy who played the Mon Calamari, and he's gonna be like, no, that, that doesn't no. make any he sense. Got it reversed. It now it's reversed. unrealistic. He says, yeah, now, I can't now, get it. yeah. I think he went. Ew, 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 ew. <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. We've embarrassed ourselves. We'll leave it there for this episode of Wookiee Leaks. Hey, if you don't know what we're talking about with DiCaprio, just never Google your heroes, I guess. Um, But we'll leave it there. (laughs) And, uh, hey, I know we've been hard on this episode, but that's what these reaction shows are to do. You know, we still overall, we we love these characters. We love that this show exists at all. We're happy to have, like, live-action Star Wars to talk about every week. So no faults there. But um, the Easter egg breakdown again will come out tomorrow. You can follow me at EA Voss. You can follow Tommy at Tommy Bechtel. You can follow Hector at Hector is funny. And uh, we will be back next week to react to season three, episode seven, uh, which will be directed by Rick Famuyiwa. These final two episodes will be. So I'm All very right. excited to see what they're going to do. Thrawn. 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 <laughs> you can uh, check out the uh, the deep dive on Friday. Uh, we'll be doing a deep dive into Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Uh, I think it's going to be a really great one. Hopefully you watch it. Enjoy it. You can follow New Rockstar. Subscribe to WikiLeaks wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for watching. And we'll bring back our original sign-off with right. the Ugnaughts returning. We, we, we have, have spoken. spoken.